Hello there, squares and triangles and trapezoids and rhombuses and people of all various persuasions who uh, grace us with their ears and shapes. Um, we have an awesome show uh, ahead for you. I'm just recording this little intro because, I mean, our show was so much fun. We had such a great time with our guests that we kind of lost the plot and uh, forgot to address the thoughtful and wonderful voicemails that were sent to us. So we have a quick one from Trolls, which I'm going to play here, and we have another one from uh, Avi Heyun, uh, who um, he said enough that we are going to play it on our next show, just so that we can give it uh, the proper time and attention that it deserves and have a discussion around it. So uh, take it away, Great Dane. At least I'm pretty sure it's certain, although I haven't actually checked any history books or anything. But suffice it to say, your lives will be enriched by the uncovering of this message. Square and Squareettes. Welcome to another uh, Square Waves FM podcast. I'm your host, Bianca, and with me is my co-host, Brian. Hi. <laughs> and today is episode number 50, and in honor of it being episode number 50, we have a very special guest. Well, let's see. We've managed to uh, find yet another uh, person to come on our podcast from that land down under. Today we have uh, author... Um, Game developer and uh, and silent movie waiter. <laughs> yep, Max Barry on with us. Say hi, nice people, Max. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Oh, Very pleasure nice to have you on. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Yeah, my pleasure. We've got a bird named Max. No relation, though. <laughs> nope. Oh, Although, really? It's although... usually the dogs. You know, people have the dog <laughs> named Max. Oh, that's um, true. The yep. bird is, is a new one. And and uh, she's Australian too. Yep, our youngest budgie is actually named Maxie, but we sometimes call her Max for short. Mm-hmm. And my cousin actually has a cat named Max. Yeah, yeah. There's a few Most of us around. You know, when I was when I was a Max, uh, I'm 42, so uh, I was a Max when no one else was a Max. And then around about <laughs> 10 years ago, it started to transition from a name that was really just for pets into uh, into the wider community, the human community. So now there are you know young Maxes running everywhere, and uh, <laughs> the mothers will call out Max, Max, and uh, I'm turning my head. It's a new thing for me. So at the ripe old age of 42, you're like max patient zero? Yeah, well, you, know, you can go to those websites and they have um, – you type in your name and you see when it was more popular and less popular. Ah. Um, and all these names go in peaks and troughs. So a name will be super popular for a while or then it will die off. And, and it's really fascinating to see the evolution of names. And some names, especially male names, will remain very popular over decades and decades, whereas female names tend to go in and out of fashion much more quickly. And uh, it really dates a name like uh, my – wife is Jennifer and pretty much every second girl born in the 70s was named Jennifer mm-hmm. uh, and then it you know it became less popular so now you know if, if there's a Jennifer around she's almost certainly late 30s early 40s um, it just completely allows you to date the person 
That's pretty interesting. I'm, yeah. I'm, how old am I again? 37? 37, yep, right? you're five years older than me, so I, you're 37. I always have to verify with the wife how many and I know rings are in my stomach. And when my birthday stump. comes, then you'll be 34 years, then you'll be, um, <laughs> then you'll be four years older than me until your birthday, in which case, then we're back to five years. Oh, thanks for simplifying that matter. So, yeah. I'm, I'm, they become less exciting, don't they, the birthdays? Kind the, of. The more you have, there's less and less to look forward to. I suppose so, or at least the less and less I can recall. But uh, mm. there, there, there were there was many a Jennifer in uh, in uh, my past as well, being yep, however old it is that I am. There, right, right. Well, there you go. Oh, my first girlfriend in grade one was a Jennifer. I mean, my first girlfriend who was in grade one. I wasn't like some grade one player, <laughs> <laughs> as suave as I may be in this day and age. You're about as charismatic as a cheese fart. <laughs> That's pretty charismatic, though. No, it's pretty stinky. There's no ignoring it anyway. No, there isn't. Okay. We're we we we're we're starting off with some class. Thank you very much for that. Yeah, darling. well, at least uh, it's not as uh, you know dirty as I usually am. <laughs> thank you for thank you for your restraints. Oh, of course, I thought I'd do that. I'd do Max a favor and exercise <laughs> some restraint in my quest. Just clean it up for me. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> well, why don't you do Max another favor and regale the fascinating tale of your hard drive migration of the week? <laughs> yes. So. This week, I actually, yeah, starting last Saturday, I realized that my hard drive was about to die. In fact, I had to reboot a couple of times, check my files, and tinker a bit to try and get my hard drive to even acknowledge that it was still here. Well, it was kind of about to die for the last two months or so. It was a real hanger-on, wasn't it? It was like, I I just waved, I had to wave the smelling salts under its nose and uh, (laughs) get out the old... uh, defibrillator <laughs> give it a couple of jump starts managed to get it going and put in and uh, put in a new hard drive disc so i called this the great hard drive migration of 2016 the exodus from zenon to zenon 2 <laughs> yeah Zen is, oh zenon is one of your partitions xenon isn't it yeah xenon i don't know i just prefer to call it zen it sounds so much better but i like spelling it with next Yes, sure. <laughs> yeah, so now I'm I'm going down from three partitions on my two terabyte drive to two partitions on my three terabyte drive. Mm. So I have X, which is Zenin, which is my games directory, and Quetzal, which is my all-purpose media directory, also known as my Q drive. Zenin and Quetzal, of course. <laughs> See, I have a G drive for games. I have an M drive for music, and that confuses me. I don't know how you keep that alphabet soup straight. <laughs> I drink it. How about you, Max? Do you do you keep data on partitioned drives, or do you just kind of lump them all wherever? Oh, yeah. Uh, man, hard drive failure, you're sending me into flashback territory now because um, uh, you know, we're running nation states, which I guess we'll talk about a little bit later, but I have big servers to take care of, um, and the servers have um, a whole bunch of different hard drives in them because if you've got a, a lot of data and it needs to be fault tolerant, then you have a RAID array, and uh, if one drive dies, then the whole system doesn't come crashing down. But it means um, there are... Uh, let's see, one machine's got like six disks in it, and when you have that many, one is bound to fail, uh, mm-hmm. even in a good setup, sure. which we don't have. Um, <laughs> so drives are always failing, and I'm constantly having to replace drives with, with newer drives, and uh, it's it's terrible. That's really something. So you're actually running the nation states game servers from your house. Uh, no, oh. no, that uh, I'm not doing that uh, because being in Australia, it would be terrible lag times for everybody else. Ah. Um, no, the the drives are actually in a, a data center somewhere, but I'm I'm doing the thing in between 
having a, a machine in your own room and having everything on the cloud, like the, the in, in between stages where you rent a physical server in a data center somewhere. So you don't have the hardware there with you, but you are responsible for um, the hardware. Like if something goes wrong and that particular piece of hardware needs to be replaced, so it affects you directly. Sure. So then you have to get some uh, low paid. Uh, computer grunt to go change your hardware for you. I think those grunts yeah, are pretty well paid. Yeah, the data center takes care of that. They have people and they'll do the replacement of the drives, but uh, it means that uh, I've got to diagnose when a drive is starting to fail uh, and uh, make a time to take the whole site down and um, people don't tend to like that um, when the site goes down uh, and then make sure it all comes up again, which uh, sounds kind of simple when I say it like that, but it's actually yes, it excruciatingly difficult. <laughs> And so I forget, what are the uh, servers called? I know one is Hamster. Yeah, we have a lot now. We have Hamster, uh, which is the main game server. Uh, we just added Squirrel, which is a new database server. Uh, we have, because I love squirrels. Like, being an Australian, I don't have squirrels where I live. And really? if you don't live around squirrels and you see them, you, you think they're fantastic. They're so cute and they jump everywhere. That and they jump on you if your friend animal. is nice enough to go rescue one and then keep it in her room. Yeah, Bianca's friend kind of nursed a, a little abandoned baby squirrel back to health and kept it in her bedroom. Right. Oh, that's so adorable. We got to visit it, and it was super adorable, but it was unbelievably rambunctious and hyperactive, and it would yeah. jump on you and dig its adorable little razor-sharp talons into you and crawl and scrabble yeah. all over you. It was yeah. pretty magical, actually. Yeah, I don't think I'd like to watch um, – I don't think I'd like to keep one as a pet, but I do like to watch them. Well, you'll, you're more than welcome to come visit us in Canada sometime. You'll you'll be real sick of them before the trip is done. <laughs> yep. right. But they're lovely to look at. Yeah, they're quite lovely until they get in – uh, and they'll come nice and close if you have anything like sunflower seeds or anything like that. They love when you feed them. Then that way they don't actually have to go do any work themselves. Sure, they're kind of fearless in the city. In the in the, the countryside, they're skittish. Yeah. Well, they're so bouncy. They bounce everywhere. Oh, they're super graceful. They have like the fluffiest tails and like... Yes. Have, yeah, it's like a mink stole kind of blowing around in the wind. It's actually quite a ballet that they do just getting from here to there. And it's even more of a ballet to watch two of them go up and down the tree trunk. That was a, that sounded like some kind of a, <laughs> uh, anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We have Squirrel as a database server and we have Rabbit. Um, and then we've got a few Australian ones as well. Uh, we've got Roo and Emu hmm. and oh, we've got Dove. And I think we've got a Sparrow in there somewhere. Do you have a duck yet? I know you like ducks. Right. No, no. I use duck for my, my email um, I this is like I had to do this at 10, 15 years ago before Google pretty much solved the spam problem. But um, yeah, you know, a while ago, if you had an email account, then spam was a major problem, and you had to basically deal with it yourself. So I I set up this system so that on my website I would put my email address, and I also said you had to put the word duck in the subject line if you emailed me, and then I would set up an email filter, and anything with the word duck in the subject line didn't get trashed. So that worked pretty well. Uh, but it's it's kind of a leftover from a, a bygone era because now you can just let Google uh, take all your spam out before it even gets to you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Most of it trickles out. And then there's some clever spam that, that does get around. Yeah, rarely. It's true. Rarely. Yeah. yeah, well, Google hasn't reached complete sentience yet and taken over the world, but yeah, they're, uh, they're working on it, I'm sure. Oh, yeah, we'll all be made redundant before long as soon mm-hmm. as Google figures out all the stuff we're doing and how inefficient we are at it. Well, yeah. they're starting with the cars, aren't they? 
Yep, but hey, that's good for me because I don't want to get my driver's license. I just want to have my own my own car without having to be mm. uh, qualified to operate it. You can get Grandma Google to drive you around then. I thought it was Mama Google. I don't know. Depends on the depends on my mood, I guess. Depends on whether it's alliterative. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Big Brother Google. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he takes directions from Google Mommy. <laughs> Google Mom. Yeah, that's right. If I if I use my phone for a GPS, whatever she says, in 300, uh, 300 meters, turn left. So you have to respond, yes, Google Mom. Yes, Mommy. <laughs> right. I don't know. It's compulsory if you ask me. It's compulsory if uh, you're neurotic enough to do it. Mm. Well, hey, our next and uh, final, I believe, little piece of news, whatever happening we wanted to talk about, I think it's going to... From my knowledge of uh, the internet situation in Australia, I think it's going to make all Australians cry. Yes, it will. You want to take this or shall yeah, I? Um, you can take it if you want. All right, I'll take it. So uh, over the years, our uh, home residential uh, internet bandwidth cap has kind of gone up and up and up. Um, the, our last bandwidth cap was 400 gigabytes a month, which is pretty darn good. But uh, And we, we're... We often, at the end of our month, or close to the end of our month, have to kind of ration things out and take things easy and make plans to either download things overnight when uh, downloads don't count towards our bandwidth cap, or just wait until the next month when our cap resets. So something like five days ago or so, we had used like, I don't know, 170 gigs of our 400, and we were like, oh, no sweat. We're, no, we were at like 200 something, which is still no sweat. I think we were under 50%. Maybe I'm remembering wrong. But we were at 52%. So even we so, were... it's like an ungodly, humongous amount of bandwidth left. So we just figured, okay, let's. Uh, Abuse the crap out of this. Yeah. Unleash, what do we say? Unleash, unleash the wildebeest. <laughs> unleash the wildebeest. Can we, can, we, can we change it to a narwhal? Can we unleash the narwhal? Unleash the narwhal. I'm taking ownership of the narwhal. So we unleashed the narwhal, and we like <laughs> were completely heedless and figured, whatever, we'll download some stuff. What can we do? I think one of the biggest offenders was there was an update for... Star Citizen. Yeah, the alpha version of Star Citizen, which installed on my hard drive is something ridiculous, like 82 gigabytes, and their update was like 20-something wow. gigabytes. It's just bonkers. Then there was a bunch of updates for various Blizzard games, Warcraft, World of Warcraft, Diablo, and Heroes of the Storm, which... We each have installed, so whatever the size of those patches are, is basically we we. Uh, Same too, right? Because mm -hmm. we each have ours, and then you did some. You copied a bunch of stuff from one hard drive to the other, but yeah, some stuff I was, needs to I get copied redownloaded. a terabyte of games from one hard drive to another, and then um, downloaded by maybe about a hundred uh, gigs of stuff. Sure. So anyway, point being, uh, in our in our uh, heedless fervor, we somehow uh, clobbered this bandwidth cap in like two or three days. We checked it like two days ago and we were at like 92% of our cap and that's enough to get us sweating bullets. And then uh, checked again the next day and noticed we were at like 109%, which is not good because there are hefty expensive overage fees if you go over your cap. It's like 50 cents a gigabyte. And while we were trying to ration, wow. we somehow downloaded like 30 gigabytes of stuff. So anyway, we called our ISP tech savvy and uh, found out that they had an unlimited plan which cost a lot less than the overage fees we're going to have to, we would have had to pay. So we figured, what the heck, we're in our age of streaming music and streaming movies, and we're kind of sick and tired of rationing, so we're paying a few bucks more a month mm -hmm. now, but now we have unlimited bandwidth. What a concept. Unlimited bandwidth? And mm. how much are we, and what's our download upload? Download is 100 megabits per second, and upload is 10 megabits per second. There's a... Yeah, well, you probably need that doing what you do. I mean, games are ridiculous now. The, the patches and stuff they have, there's so much that you need. Well, need is probably a, a stretch of a term. Uh, 
Right. It's pretty frivolous, whatever it is that we do with our bandwidth. But frivolity is important, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, we're streaming high. We're, we we stream high def, stream high definition television. Mm-hmm. Isn't that like three gigs an hour or something? Yeah, I think so. Thereabouts. Not that we watch all that much, but anyway, I don't. I don't even know where our bandwidth goes. So not having to think about it is a wonderful luxury. Mm-hmm. I haven't. Ha- I haven't had unlimited bandwidth since it was either the late nineties or the early two thousands when we. It was the early days of broadband, uh-huh. and we subscribed. the The name of our ISP at the time was called Rogers. They're a big Canadian. Oh yeah, they quite had quote unquote company. unlimited. That's right. Rogers, also known affectionately in Canada as Robbers. <laughs> so they we we subscribed to a service of theirs called Rogers Unlimited. And one day they called us and said we were using too much bandwidth. So I'm like, how are we exceeding your unlimited service? How are we? How how does one consume more than unlimited? Yeah. So they, they told me that unlimited means that you can be connected as long as you want, but you can't, uh, but you can't right. download as much as you want. So I said, isn't that like the definition of a limit? But they, uh, they somehow disagreed. Yeah. So, so we haven't used them for a long time. Yeah. Um, They're so our last choice. Their unlimited stuff. And I'm like, I'm, st- I'm, I'm waiting for him to get the inevitable phone call that says you've been downloading too much. I tried to get him to double check that it really means unlimited. Yeah. But oh, well. I get the feeling that they're uh, they're gonna they're gonna surprise. He's gonna get a nasty surprise. Perhaps, yeah, yeah. Though so they're always jacking up their prices or whatever. Anyway, we talked about ourselves too long, haven't we? I feel yes. like we should have kind of put this uh, later on after we talked to our gracious guest, who is no doubt nodding and giving a thumbs up to, <laughs> to, to, his, to his screen. He's like no, these guys just, are good. It's a caps. No, it's. Um, I mean, I have um, a good internet plan here, but certainly plenty of Australians don't. Um, a difference, though, is that if you run over the cap, then you just get slow. You don't get charged. You get taken back to dial-up speeds. Um, so it's like a time warp going back to 1998 where everything comes down the um, the, the phone line with that <laughs> sort of speed. And it's, um, it's insane. I mean, it's kind of nice because it reminds you of how far you've come. But uh, mm-hmm. to browse the web at that speed... Uh, in this day and age, it's like a, a slow form of torture. So everyone who hits that limit then has to call up their ISP and buy a, a bigger limit. Oh, well, it's nice that at least they don't cut you right off or charge you uh, through the nose. Our, our very first... Uh, uh, sounds nice, though, but in practice, it's horrible. I, I suppose. I suppose. Yeah. Our, our, our very first episodes of this podcast, we were reminiscing about the days of dial-up internet and thinking about 2,400 baud modems and how those were one kilobyte a second. And those were an upgrade of like eightfold or whatever of what you used to get before that. Yes. So good riddance to the bad old days. No, they were still good old days. Yeah. So I guess so we can move forward. I got a few questions for Max and we can uh, kind of take this as we want. Well, uh, now that we're a good 17 minutes in, maybe we'll do the cordial thing and uh, ask our guests perhaps to tell us what it is that he does and what uh, we might know him for. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. So, yes. Um, well, I have I have two jobs: the the job that I'm supposed to be doing, and the job that I've wound up doing. And uh, the job that I'm supposed to be doing is writing novels, uh, which is something I've been doing uh, for about twenty years now, I guess. Um, in all that time, I've managed to get five of them out. Um, I guess my best known one is Jennifer Government, although that was back in two thousand and 
three. Uh, and since then, my latest one is Lexicon. Um, so I write um, sort of science fiction-y, thriller, satire type things, I guess. I'm terrible at classifying my own work. But, um, yeah, writing writing novels is what I've been luck- lucky enough to do as a full-time job mm-hmm. for about um, – well, since about 98, actually, which is when I quit my last real job. I've been a, a salesperson for Hewlett-Packard. Mm-hmm. Um, and the job that I've wound up doing um, is running Nation States, this uh, online political simulation game, which is a little website that I created uh, around about the time that Jennifer Government was coming out uh, as a book. And I had always wanted to make a little game online, always been a big fan of making up games and um, something I've always done as a kid from Dungeons and Dragons uh, through to... Um, you know, chasing games in the backyard, making games has always just been a real passion of mine. So um, this was a an idea I had to create a little web game where you would make your own country and run it according to your own warped political ideals. And I spent a few months learning how you went about doing that, how, what's, how you could program a game, how you could put it together. And uh, about four months later, I had this very basic thing that you could actually log on to and create a country and uh, my whole plan back then was to have this website be a brief promotion for the book and then, you know, maybe a thousand people would see it and then if they did, then that would be a thousand more people who knew that my novel existed who wouldn't have otherwise known about it. So uh, this was how I justified it to myself for, for taking four months off from writing books. And so the, the site was uh, came out in late 2002 and I emailed about 20 friends and some of them enjoyed it and emailed their friends. And so uh, there were about a thousand people playing the game after about three days. And then it wow. basically doubled every day for the next month or so, um, wow. which was really difficult to keep a uh, handle on because I was you know, on this terrible little internet plan that couldn't support it at all. And uh, anyway, so the game has become became very popular very quickly and I've basically been looking after it one way or another uh, ever since. That is really something. So uh, clarify something for me, if you will, then. Nation States, does that more or less take place in the universe you established in Jennifer Government? Is, like, her government one, like, unit of the world? No, no, they are extremely tenuously related. Um, I actually called the site originally Jennifer Government colon nation states uh, and it was just because I wanted to basically promote the book um, but the only real link is that Jennifer government is set in this ultra capitalist alternate reality and the idea of nation states was that you could create a society like that if you wanted but then if you didn't you could also create some sort of hippie paradise or you know any kind of anarchy dictatorship whatever you wanted you could just build that nation so no there's no real link between them and in fact i've been steadily removing all references to jennifer government from the site so i'm not sure there's too many left there um apart from probably the big one on the front page that says it was originally inspired by the novel but no but it's, it's a game in its own right and i'm pretty sure that some huge number of people who play the game have no idea who I am or that there's any sort of novel related to it or anything like that. Yeah, I'm pretty sure at this point most people only see like the little uh, eyeball in the corner and just associate it as an icon with the site more than anything. Yeah, that's right. That's right. It's the Nation States book. Mm-hmm. I sadly still have to read Lexicon. I haven't read it yet, but I have read Jennifer Government. Um, 
Machine Man, and I think that's it. I haven't read Serp, though we did watch the movie. You make a very oh, good right. silent butler. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, I was spectacular, wasn't I? Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I... You know, I actually had a line. They were making this movie, and they said I could have a cameo, and um, I had a line in the movie, which was, uh, I was supposed to go up, um, being a waiter to the, the two leads and say, may I take your order? And uh, I was over in New York where they were doing the filming and I, the closer it got, the more I was freaking out about my ability to articulate actual words um, in front of everybody. And I, um, I got to see the set and it was quite a small movie. Like I had a budget of, of I think about $2 million, but that still means there's like a crew of 50 people and there are actual you know, people from real movies. This is their real job and they're very skilled at it. They know what they're doing. They've been doing it for a long time. And I began to feel like the biggest dick just wandering into that as a guy who you know, obviously couldn't act in any way um, and pretend to be an actor. So um, I made them take the line out. I said, look, how about I just I just walk up to the table and, and you know, they cut me off before I can say anything. Huh. <laughs> the, um, the, the male actor, Shiloh Fernandez, was amazed at this because he's like wait you made them take out your own line it normally works the other way they're fighting for more lines but yeah that was still about all i could handle that's really solid well that kind of gives you that uh alfred hitchcock mystique of your own little cameo i suppose yeah that'd be nice yeah yeah <laughs> what's that saying about you know it's it's better to um keep your mouth silent and, and be thought of as uh well, that's just, people might think you're an idiot, but if you open your mouth, you remove all doubt. <laughs> Quick, say something so she knows that you're not. That, so, you, she, so she doesn't think you're stupid. <laughs> oh, I forgot. That's right. And then you say something stupid. Sure. Well, actually, there is. Um, Lisa says it to Homer in one episode. And he says, "Quick," and he says, "Thinks to himself." Quick, say something before she thinks you're stupid. What does he say? I can't remember now. Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> He's like has a very simple line and. Yeah, instead of saying nothing, he says something. <laughs> okay. Well, that's really, that's really something, how intimidating and uh, it, it might be to be put on the spot like that. I think I, I guess it's a testament to the abilities of actors that they make it look so natural and so easy. But when it comes right down to it, it's uh, a lot to ask of a person. Yeah, totally, yeah. There's a lot of skill that goes into not looking like you're standing in front of 50 people pointing <laughs> lights at expensive equipment at you. Yeah. <laughs> Same goes for public speaking or any sort of other position where you're uh, exposed to a lot of people in, at one time. Hmm. Imagine all the keynote speakers being able to act so naturally when they're at a conference. Yeah, that's something too. Yeah, I've done a fair bit of public speaking just as part of book tours. Um, but I, saw I, your, I saw your uh, talk to Google, as a matter of fact. Yeah, that was I interesting. Yeah, yeah, I watched that right. some time ago, and you talk about how you get into being a novelist and uh, getting away from uh, Hewlett Packard. That was an interesting talk. Right. Yes. Yes. That was, um, I think, the novel company. I was on a, a book tour, so I went into various workplaces. It's a book about workplaces, so I would go in and, and talk to different people. And um, it was funny because um, the book is basically saying that workplaces are horrible, dehumanizing environments that try to suck your soul. And um, Google is about the furthest from that that you could imagine. It's just um, you know everything is wonderful. You walk in. Well, this is when I went, which is a little while ago now, but walk in um, the campus and there's this gigantic 
multicolored sculpted dinosaur and then someone else has like grafted this unicorn onto its head and it just looks like a playground for engineers and geeks of all kinds like this magical wonderful fairyland where you would just kill to work um there's all the vending machines are all free you know there's oh, go lounge here the vending machine yeah, it's, that it's, one time you went amazing. oh yeah oh sure you yeah. went to uh the mountain view headquarters yes that's right oh yeah i've, I've actually been there once before too, I got trained on some search products there once, and it was like Disneyland for dorks, kind of. It was very cool, and I ate yeah. so much food there. Their food is so good, and it's everywhere. And, and they like, had, yeah, they had drink fridges all over the place. I remember. Yeah, and don't they have like their own chefs or anything, something like that, who all produce several from uh, local, like, from locally sourced food? Yes, that they do. Mm. Yeah, although I think the downside for that is that. It's not a workplace where you can just go and do your job and then walk away, uh, you know, clock off at five or six or whatever and just forget about it. It's really like a, it takes over your entire life and you become a Google person and you should be really thinking Google thoughts at all times. It's, it kind of seems so. One of the memories I had that kind of gave me a bit of a shudder was seeing uh, people's desks with uh, little curtain rods and curtains they could close over like oh, a well where right. your knees go. Yeah. That uh, that that was a, a bit of a rude awakening from the whole dreaminess of the place. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Basically, it was like one giant mega church, except it was for technology sort and of. the worship of God. Sort of. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so that's neat. Yeah, I'm, I'm realizing now. I, I haven't read your books, but I've we we watched Syrup together, and I've yeah. played your game, and I've seen your Google Talk. So I've kind of beat around the bush, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Right, You've, you're familiar with all my work except the thing that I'm actually good at, That's which is <laughs> writing fiction. <laughs> well, I beg to differ, but I, I, I owe you a read of, of your books. I, I did really like. Um, I watched like a preview that you did on, or what would you call it, like a, a trailer sort of a thing you made for Machine Man mm-hmm. on YouTube, where you're like going to cut one of your own limbs <laughs> off, sort of. And I really liked. I had a good laugh on your website. You had this kind of Jimmy Wales. Uh, Wikipedia-esque, uh, looking uh, forlornly into the camera kind of a <laughs> banner. Right. I thought that was hilarious. Oh, that was. And didn't you make a screenshot so you could uh, tweet it or yeah, something? Yeah, I keep it whenever I need a, <laughs> whenever I need to feel comforted. I have that, that picture backed up somewhere. Yeah. my uh, The one picture I have is the one I photo- uh, I uh, did in, uh, M- in uh, MS Paint. Not MS Paint, but Paint.net, where I mm. photoshopped Max's head onto the Borg Queen's body. <laughs> Oh, that's disturbing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've seen a lot of disturbing photoshops of me by nation states people, often by moderators. I have to say, <laughs> seem to take a special delight in doing that. Your notoriety precedes you. Mm-hmm. And I know that one of them. I know one of the other mods did actually post it in the public forum. Mm-hmm. So I actually do have a question. Um, let's see. I know you have a few books, but which one would you consider to actually be your your baby, like your favorite one? Um, well, it's yeah, it's a hard question to answer, and I can't really answer objectively because that's the point. A novel, it's your work, and you're not supposed to be able yeah, to answer okay, objectively. Okay. Um, look, I think Syrup is really special to me because it was my first published novel, uh, and it was also the one that got me out of a desk job into, well, to another desk job, but one where I was the boss. So I was um, I was writing that book in my lunch breaks when I was selling computers for Hewlett Packard. And um, that, um, that environment, that corporate environment, like I, at that time, HP was a wonderful company to work for. They were really good to their employees. It was kind of at the, the height of um, 
HP's um, fame. Like people, all people really liked them as a company. They had a great reputation, um, stretching back to when they started as a garage company in the, the 30s, I think. So it was it was a really good place to work, really. But it was still such a I found it such an oppressive environment in terms of like working in a sales team and so crushing. Um, yeah, look, the thing that got to me was I was a, a salesperson, right? So I was um, this uh, – I had an, a bunch of accounts and I was supposed to keep them happy and figure <laughs> out what they needed to purchase in terms of computer gear and um, talk them up a little bit and then, you know, book orders and meet these numbers. And uh, what everyone would do is in the sales team is they would get very, very focused on these numbers. Most of these guys were on commission, so it made a huge difference to their lives as to whether they made their numbers or not. And uh, it would be this massive, like, cult-like experience of who was on their numbers and who wasn't on their numbers, and who had got plus 50% and all the bonuses kick in and all this sort of stuff. And then you'd get to the end of the financial year and everything would reset back to zero and off you'd go again for another round of the same thing. And it, it really struck me as terrifyingly pointless in that you would just repeat this same race over and over until you retired. Um, I was writing this book in my uh, my lunch breaks, and uh, this is a very personal thing. But like a lot of the people I work with would completely disagree with me on this. But I felt like that was the most important part of my day, and that was the time when I was actually doing something useful because I was building something that would never go away. I was building this book, and even if it was never published or no one ever read it, it would still be this work of fiction that I had made that didn't exist beforehand. So uh, I I worked on that book for, um, yeah, for probably a year and a half while working for HP, and um, I used this laptop that I had borrowed from the employee loan program. You're supposed to be able to borrow a laptop for up to two weeks for any purpose you liked. And they never actually asked for it back after the two weeks. So I kept it and I still have it. It's under my bed. Uh, it's uh, yeah, a bit dusty now, but um, it's a pretty good little machine. Uh, HP made good machines back then. So, um, yes, that was that was really special. And then the book got um, picked up by an agent, which was amazing. Um, this American guy, I was like trying to get the book published. So um, actually what I did, I was working for HP, and so I would I knew about AltaVista, the search engine of choice oh, in yeah. the late Oh, 90s. wow, that's so, so long ago. It was my choice, yeah. yeah. Pre-Google days. So I typed in how do you get a book published into AltaVista, and it suggested that uh, you find – an agent who will then um, get the book to a publisher for you. So I did a bit of research on agents and I was writing these query letters, which are one-page letters saying, hi, uh, I'm Max Barry. I've written this book on uh, marketing and crazy world and it's kind of funny and would you like to read the first few chapters? So um, I mailed out these letters and I was trying Australian publishers, but because Alta Vista was based in the US and the internet at large was was mostly American in the late 90s. I would get all these American um, results. So I just sort of by accident found out how you get published in the US. Um, that was easier to find out than how you get published in Australia. So I was writing to American agents as well 
And one day the phone rang and it was this this dude from New York and he liked the book and he wanted to represent me and um, that was like a you know heavens opening up and angels descending to earth kind of moment. It was something I'd been dreaming of since I was a kid. And, oh, that's every uh, writer's dream. Yeah, yeah, it really was. It really was. And he did an amazing job of um, whipping up excitement among publishers and he, he got the book at a great publisher. And uh, so, yeah, that was that whole sort of, you know, first experience uh, makes syrup really special to me. Oh, that's a great story. Mm-hmm. You, uh, you you strike a chord with me as well when you kind of talk about the, the those feelings of working for a big uh, sales-oriented company like that because I used to as well. And I, would, I, I was – well, I had friends that uh, turned out to be engineers. They studied in engineering school and they became engineers professionally, geological and uh, computer engineers and electrical engineers. And so – they spoke so passionately about what they did because they said the job of an engineer is to kind of be aware of everything out there in the universe and be faced with some problem and consider all of those variables and sky's the limit in terms of whatever sort of a solution you can come by them. Um, meanwhile, I was working for a sales-oriented um, IT company, and they decided to bespo- just bestow upon me the title of sales engineer. And so I thought, oh, okay, cool. That sounds like uh, I can kind of come up with whatever I like and uh, help to uh, create solutions for people that are having computing issues. And well, nope. they told me they told me to an extent that's it, except that it has to be products that we sell. So here I was in scenario after scenario, thinking, oh, you could do this for free this way or that way. You could do that with this product, which was made for the situation this way or that way. But no, I have to sell the products and contrasting that definition that loose definition of engineer with the true definition that kind of that really did strike a chord with me and had me think deeply about what it was that i'm doing so now i work for a college in an it department doing all the techie stuff that i love but not for the purpose of generating revenue quarter after quarter and year after year and as you say it resets and the slate is wiped clean every year now now we yeah do it for the public pretty rough. i think you have to be a particular type of person to to enjoy sales because it's 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 in most cases it's really um, soul sucking to do well. You have to, um, yeah, as you say, you, you don't necessarily give the customer the best solution for them. You're there to to sell products that that your company happens to stock. So it's yeah, it's uh, maybe you love like the thrill of the chase and the rush of hitting your numbers, but um, I think for people who are more um, I don't know, who, who like to build things, who like to play with things. I think maybe that's it's a pretty hard environment. Yeah, that's a that's a good contrast, I think. Mm-hmm. Indeed. So I know that Brian would come home just fed up and uh, frustrated with his job, and now with uh, his uh, one that he has at the school, he, fe- he seems to be so much more fulfilled since he feels like he's making a difference, even though pro- mm. his main job is just writing technical documentation and communication to uh, – oblivious students it's true and that's sort of we were talking briefly before our show started that i uh oh our very dear friend uh trolls uh in denmark hello trolls um, he's I, our favorite uh face planter <laughs> poor poor guy he uh he had a bit of a drunken spill the, the other week. I'm glad he's doing better now. Yeah. Um, I still say it's a ditch. He fell it's down. It's not a ditch, then. I know it's not. Anyway, <laughs> he, he, he had invited me to remix some songs from an album he wrote. And uh, I've written many a song in my in my life, but uh, not so recently. And I was kind of thinking, why do I have so little drive to do this creative endeavor that I appreciate? The uh, I, I appreciate music very much. And I appreciate, like, I'm happy that I'm able to actually make it. But... 
Why am I not motivated to do so? And I kind of realized, well, number one, that motivation has always been the reason why I wouldn't want to be like a creative entrepreneur or someone kind of so responsible for my own income that I have to produce things of high quality and high creativity, you know, working from home or whatever. It's just On not for me. On a regular basis. But also thinking that I was doing enough, perhaps it's that I'm doing enough creative things at work. Like I was writing more music if I was feeling depressed or if I felt like I, I had something bottled up that I had to let out. And I'm doing so many cool creative things at work now that I don't really feel that pressure somehow. So maybe mm -hmm. that's an optimistic way. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe I'm sufficiently scratchy these days. Mm -hmm. I don't know. You scratch the itch and itch to scratch. That's right. That's that's me making a very eloquent excuse for not taking him up on his gracious offer. So, mm -hmm. Charles, I owe you a song. I really do. I love I love his album Wasted uh, Talent. Very good album. We'll we'll link to it in the show notes again. Yep, we've linked to it in the past, but we'll link to it again. Mm hmm. Um. Ah, another one for you. So let's assume, Max, that uh, the sky's the limit with programming, that, that there's no real restrictions. If you could, what would you add to NS if you didn't have to worry about, you know, programming restrictions? Ah, wow. Um, yeah, that's that's actually a difficult question to answer because there's a million things that I would like to do on the site. Um uh, but, I, but I haven't really been able to because it would require – even more time and, and money that I've already got to put into it. So, um, yeah, there is a big update that is coming uh, within the next month. And I think like, a lot of the things I like to fix about the site are things that I probably should have done differently about 12 years ago, whenever it was that the site actually opened. Like I'm, I'm fixing glaring um, problems with the site that have been around for so long that everyone's just gotten used to them and assumes that, that's um, just the way it's meant to be. But, a feature. Um, but if any you know, <laughs> objective person were to look at it, it would just be like, wait a minute, that doesn't make any sense. So um, there's one thing about the site that uh, I'm going to fix next month, um, which is when you make your own nation, you get these issues, like these daily dilemmas that pop up. Like there's, um, you can save lives by um, increasing organ donorship rates um, so would you like to pass a law that forcibly removes organs from dead people like without consent? Um, obviously, they're dead first, right? So it's not that bad. But yeah, <laughs> instead of letting people as individuals decide what happens to their body after they die in your country, you can just say, no, we're going we're gonna to take your liver and save someone else's life. So um, you get these dilemmas and you go, all right, I'm going to choose this option here. This is what I agree with. And then nothing happens. You have to wait. Um, and then come back and visit the site the next day to see that the legislation you passed has actually gone into effect and then try to figure out what effect it had. So the site has been this way forever because when I created it, I didn't know how to do it any differently. And by the time I did, uh, it was uh, so popular that it would have required vast amounts of processing power to um, to process all this stuff at once. So um, now, however, I figured out a way that we can actually change it so that you will pass legislation and it will come into effect straight away and you can actually get some feedback on what you just did and, and what just changed. So mm. you know, when I say I'm fixing really obvious problems with the site, that's, that's one of them. Um, beyond that, I'm not sure. I mean, one of the things I really love about nation states is that I get to tinker with it and there's a whole bunch of different sides to it that I can 
that can go into it. There's a, there's a gameplay side to it. There's a role-playing side to it. There's a forum. There's a world assembly. There's this whole whole a bunch of communities that have each expanded upon what was already there in 2002 and really made it their own. So sometimes I'll just go into a different area of the site and see what people are doing and what problems they're, they're struggling with and what what uh, workarounds they're finding for, for problems that exist and thinking, okay, well, maybe I can make life better if I make it so they don't have to work around that. So it actually works with them hmm. instead of them having to fix it themselves. So, um, yeah, that sort of stuff. But beyond that, like people often say, okay, how do I attack another nation in nation states? I want to go to war with them. And that's something that we don't do. Of course and not. I would never want to do that because that would fundamentally change it from a, a nation, a game about um, – Nation your, yeah, about your politics and, and how people interact with each other and what your ideal is. It would change it from that into a, right, how do I get enough points to build up a big enough military to defeat this other person over here? So, yeah, that, that was that's something I'd never want to do regardless of um, resources. Mm-hmm. I want to say, by the way, um, first of all, I have to I have to compliment you on uh, nation states and its idea. Um, I mean, nowadays, it's not uncommon to find so-called idle games like we've been playing one called adventure capitalist where you like click a couple of buttons in a day and then you wait and then you kind of reap the benefits slowly over time mm-hmm. and there's cookie clicker and there's a bunch of yeah. uh, a bunch of games like that i sort of think they're akin I'm to like a bonsai it. tree where you make a small change and then you see it kind of come to fruition based mm-hmm. on the, the the small but important choices that you've made so i think that's a really i think it's amazing that you uh, came up with a concept like that as much as 12 years ago is something that's becoming more popular nowadays. That's that's something that's super cool. Well, I think it's pretty obvious that Nation States was made by a guy who has no idea about game design because what you do if you actually know about game design is you pick this like core experience that people, you know, this core 20 seconds that people will, will loop through. Like, what, sure. is the, what is the player mostly doing? And you make that really fun and really slick and then you maybe add some stuff around it. Whereas my approach to Nation States was like, um, I think it would be cool to make my own country and then just, you know, customize it in different ways. And it just sprawled out. It's no one really central, clear idea. You can do, you know, you can make your country and then you can go join a region and then you can vote in a poll in the region and then you can endorse a person to represent your region at the World Assembly and then you can get that person to vote a particular way on different legislation. And it's like, you know, you've gone from A to B to C to D and it's you've left the, the core experience of the gameplay which is answering issues now way behind so yeah. it's, it's uh, more of a sprawl than like a well-designed slick little um you know app that you might get on your phone or something oh yeah well i think it, uh yeah like uh, behind all that though the core loop is basically being petitioned by your populace and being faced with an issue and having to make a a decision based on your own moral beliefs or based on your fantasy or based yeah. on however sadistic you feel it's it's just very cool that yeah. that's that's the core loop it's something that you kind of have to reach inside yourself and find an answer. And that's something that's rare that you'll find in a game. They're usually more superficial. And you can play them superficial, like nation states superficially, but it's just kind of cool how it's such a long-term sandbox in that effect. Yeah, so. look, it's, it's funny because you're absolutely right. That is what most of our players do. Um, but uh, And that's how the game was originally designed. You could basically just do that. But um, as the game has grown over the last decade or so, it's gotten all these extra parts to it. And mm-hmm. it's been easy to forget that most people do that because um, you only hear from a small minority of players. You know, it's that, that constant thing of like 
of um, players are making 90% of the noise. So mm-hmm. um, you, there are masses of people who play the game and never speak up. They're just like running their own nation quietly. Yeah. And it's easy to forget about them when there's all these other nations who are being very vocal and uh, voting on stuff and proposing stuff and engaging in, in fairly um, aggressive politicking with each other so yeah now there's that that core loop that i think is actually probably being neglected pretty badly over the last few years which um, hopefully this new update will um boost back up a bit mm-hmm. yeah i actually quite love the uh the dispatches and base in the uh, backbook option i have I, ma- I made a wiki out of it online yeah people do amazing stuff with this this is again it's one of these updates where i saw people trying to customize their nations in more ways than the site would support. And so I added a kind of basically like a Wikipedia thing where you could create pages to describe anything about your nation that you wanted. And I had no real idea of how this would be used, but I could see that people, some people would want to do it. And yeah, people come up with amazing stuff. This like really long, really elaborate and very well formatted documents describing the history of their nation and the, the flora and fauna and all this stuff. And in my case, their national sport, Ephiblic, Goose Duck Dog. <laughs> oh, gosh. I love this. I love this so much. You made the your your uh, picture of a sports field. Yeah. Would it have like the duck penalty zone or something? And, duck like- box, loser box penalty, uh, a loser pen- penalty box, uh, the, the seven team boxes. And you have essentially seven teams on the field of six players each. And the objective is to not get your whoopee cushion punctured by uh, one of the uh, one of the divers, and then you have dancers uh, whose job is to distract the other players. <laughs> I need to see this. I think you need to link me to this. <laughs> we'll we'll uh, we'll stick it in the show notes so that everyone can bask in the glory of what is it like duck goose ball or something? Duck goose dog. Because, duck goose dog. Because then there are robotic canine cleaners who come onto the field between uh, periods to uh, clean up the, after the chaos. Of course. I wish we had robotic canine cleaners to clean up after our ducks and geese. <laughs> There's a lot of cleaning to be done thanks to those little poopers. What else do we got? You oh. want to ask maybe one more and then we'll uh, move things forward? Ooh, I have two good ones and I don't know which one to pick. Well, because there's... That's oh, both of their great. Okay, this one I'm going to go. Oh, okay. Okay, this is actually... Um, recently we did a podcast with some of our uh, friends on topic of... That uh, was uh, on nostalgic memories. And we were just talking about games that... Uh, or toys that we wish we had when we were children but never got. So my question to you is, what game, toy, book, movie, etc. did you want as a child but never got that one really special one that eluded you? Oh, wow. Um, Which one did I never get? Um, Well, I was pretty keen on a bunch of plastic Star Wars stuff. I was way into Star Wars as a kid. Oh, yeah. Um, Actually, this is is the closest one I can come up with. I... um, uh, for one Christmas, I was really keen on two different things. I was keen on a Dungeons Dungeons and Dragons set, so this Dungeons and Dragons that just started getting popular, and uh, a Atat Walker. From oh yeah, Star Wars. It's like this plastic thing, and you could press the uh, little button at the back and make its legs move. So, and you could put a figurine um, inside it. So it was like a 
<laughs> not life size, but life size for the, the figurines that he would buy, um, <laughs> as opposed to the other smaller metal die cast um, ships and craft you could get. So I was; um, those were the two things on my my wish list, and I got the Atat Walker for Christmas, and I was really happy with it. Um, and then my mum said uh, a little later that um, you know she hoped that I enjoyed it. Um, that, uh, you know, some comment like, if I hadn't gotten that, I would have gotten Dungeons and Dragons instead. And I was like, oh, no. Oh, no. I really wanted Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> so uh, as it turns out, I actually did get that later. So it's, it's not really a good answer to your question. I did get D&D <laughs> and, and played it so much with my friends. Uh, but I'm really glad about that at at Walker as well because I, I brought out all my Star Wars stuff for my kids. I've got two daughters now and they're five and ten. And they they bring out my old set of stuff. I've got a the Darth Water Darth Vader head shaped case for all the figurines inside. Fits oh, like yeah. about forty figurines, and um, some of these figurines have been chewed by my dog in about nineteen eighty two. But um, they're they're still yeah. You know, the kids don't know any of the names because they haven't actually watched the Star Wars movies yet. But they make up uh, adventures about you know, this. This dude with the long hair is like some bounty hunter. They they think he's a princess. So he's um, oh no, he's the queen. So uh, he goes on adventures and yeah, it's just I, it's so cool how that sort of stuff from your childhood starts coming out and um, in delighting a new generation. That's brilliant. That's very cool that they'll play with them even though they're not familiar with the who the characters really are. I've got uh, young nephews. They're one and two years old, or at least the two year old doesn't really care about any sort of figurine unless it's from one of the TV shows that he's like, with the exception of elephants. He's very uh, obsessed with elephants at the moment. Yeah, elephants, Paw Patrol, and Minions, and I think one oh, other one. He likes Peppa Pig. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Peppa Pig's pretty good. So we hear. We, 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 haven't, we haven't binged on the season after season yet, but nope. perhaps someday. Nice. All right. Did you did you have one more, or should we move forward? Um, I think we'll move forward. I can always... Uh, Sure, I'll, mm. I'll skip my question here. So, yeah, um, if you want to ask yours, go ahead. Well, now I'm curious as to what they were. Okay, well, I'll, I'll give you one then. Um, earlier this, uh, earlier last year, I got to do something really fun. I uh, signed up for an online course on a website called Coursera. It was this free, uh, sort of a college equivalent course, um, hosted by a university professor in the United States, and uh, the course contrasted The Lord of the Rings in the book form, the movie, and in this multi, massively multiplayer online game, Lord of the Rings Online. So right. this was a phenomenon that he called multimodal remediation. It's where you take the same story, but you translate it into different, like you make it appropriate for different media, either interactive media, or you change a poem into a full book, or you concentrate a huge novel yes. into a shorter movie. And I was just wondering uh, what your take was on this. I mean, you, you mentioned that um, uh, Jennifer Government wasn't all that closely related to nation states, but you do have your film adaptation of Syrup, and surely you had to make some concessions to make it more appropriate for the screen versus on the page. And I'm wondering if you have any uh, personal insight about this phenomenon. Yeah, they're really different. Um, all my books at one point or another have been optioned for film, and I've been... Some of those times the book was optioned and I've had pretty much nothing to do with the development of screenplays and stuff. And other times I have been very involved. And with Syrup, I wrote a whole bunch of different screenplay drafts for various producers over the years. And, yeah, it's it's really different. Um, 
you there are plenty of things that work in a novel that that can't work uh, on a in a script and um it's it's often the things you don't expect too it's like um for example in life fiction is often been described occasionally being described as being um movie like or a bit cinematic and i think that's because it's tended to be i don't do any physical description in my in my novels i or very little of it i i tend to do a lot of dialogue um less description of what people and things look like and it, it tends to be fairly fast moving so that feels similar to the effect you get from a movie where it's it's all very quick as well but um but a but a movie is actually incredibly visual. So it struck me as interesting that you get the same effect from a movie throwing information at you visually as you do from a novel that just omits all the visual information completely. So in the book, you don't stop and describe what something looks like. Then you get the same sort of fast moving effect. But um, yes, in terms of adaptations, um, there's yeah, they're very different. They're, you have to basically pick a few core things that you want to survive from the um the novel you have to choose right what what characters what dynamics what feelings um uh, and what moments do you really want to preserve from the the book and and into the screen and then you have to figure out a way to to do that and the way you actually build that moment and build that feeling or build that relationship between characters um, has to be different in the film. It just doesn't work visually the same way it does in your head when it's all in your imagination. So, um, yeah, it's, it's definitely a very different process. And I, I basically feel like if you take a small amount from the book and then you invent all this different stuff for the film, then that's great. It's, it's always going to be its own beast, so you should never be try to be a slave to the, the actual book. Um, huh. That's really interesting to hear. Yeah, I, I I sometimes it works better than other times. Um, I do think it's a lot easier to write a book in some ways because one of the things I noticed when I was watching them actually film this syrup adaptation is how everything needs to go right. You need everyone to be doing their jobs to the best of their ability at the right time for it all to work on screen. Whereas for a book, I can just, you know, write a sentence and then come back a week later and decide, no, I, I don't like that. So I'll, I'll change that dog to a cat instead and then go fix up all the references. It's just so easy in fiction compared to filmmaking where there's budgets and deadlines and, and yeah, all these moving parts that have to work together. So, yeah, I have a lot of respect for, for filmmaking and how, how difficult it is to get those planets to align um, compared to novels. Well, that, that's a great answer, and I especially appreciate hearing you say that uh, you recognize, because of the differences between film and novels, that you're that you encourage the film to take a different route to kind of arrive to the, at the same place in the story. I, I, I would have thought that you would have wanted to defend the details from one medium to another. Yeah, look, what I what I think is you've got to defend the the core feelings in the moments like you've got to find what's important to you and it's it's not everything obviously everything from the book is not going to survive because uh it, the book's so long compared to the film mm-hmm. so you, you have to decide all right i want the relationship between these characters to survive and then yeah and it's really difficult because there are so many different people from producers um the director has their vision the actor themselves will bring something different and um when you feel that they are um, doing damage to something important, then yeah, you have to fight for it at that point. But um, but the rest of it, yeah, you, 
it, there's so much more flexibility that's required in a movie because you are the talent, for example, the actor is going to bring something that you can't foresee to the role. They're going to bring something of themselves and they're going to um, make it much richer in ways that you didn't expect um, because of their, their unique talent. Uh, and you've got to let them do that. You can't try to hammer them down and say, no, I, I wanted you know, this to be just like this in my head. So you've got to let the actor do that, the director do that, the producer and everybody bring their, their own creative skill to the project and let them um, do their best. Uh, and then it's just those those times where you feel like, okay, unless we fix this, this is going to do this do damage to this important part of the story. Um, then that's where <laughs> you start to have um, a, a more confrontational discussion. Hmm. So you another, so you basically have like a general idea of what you want done and then leave the uh, the nitty-gritty to the uh, rest of the people involved? Uh, I wouldn't even say it's like nitty-gritty. It's not like you like say, all right, here's the, the top-level rules and you guys are free to uh, invent other stuff underneath that. It's more like yeah, all these people who have creative ideas are, are in together and there's – like, there's not that much of a hierarchy. Like, the director is supposed to be the person with the with the absolute say in it all, and to a large extent they do, but but not nearly to the same extent as I do when I'm writing my novel and it's just me doing whatever the hell I want. <laughs> um, so it's yeah, it's really it's more like a whole bunch of people who are equals in a creative sense, all having different input, and it can be really challenging if you know one person comes up with an idea and it seems like it's going to be great and it probably would be great in that scene all by itself in isolation, but you have to bear in mind of the effect it's going to have in the scenes that follow and what damage it might do to a scene three um, scenes later. So it's, you know, it's all that sort of stuff. So it's, it's incredibly difficult to, to keep all those balls in the air. And uh, that's even before you get into the logistical challenges of, Oh, we were going to do this, but it's raining that day or that car we thought we were going to have, we actually can't have all of a sudden that yeah it's um there's a lot more of a challenge in getting a film together for sure well what you're saying kind of reminds me of a a book that i read once speaking of multimodal remediation as the professor uh called it i read a novelization or no it was just a novel in the universe of the game mist and they kind of expand a little bit have you ever played mist by the way no but i know of it okay so mist the basically what mist is about is a man who has the power to write in a book and create a world that really exists based on uh, what he writes in the book. And so what the novel goes into a little bit more, which kind of gives some background to what happens in the game. And I thought this was kind of a cool analogy of video game design, but obviously also it uh, describes what you just mentioned about uh, script writing. Um, the protagonist would write something in his book. He would say uh, it was in it was in this location on the sea and the temperature was warm that uh, that summer. And so then he would like write the, his piece in the book and he would close it. And then he had the ability to visit the world by putting his hand on the book. He would actually go into the book and interact with the people and visit the world. And he would do that six months later and apparently time had passed in the universe that he had written. And because of some oversight in uh, geology or engineering or weather or something like that, there was some catastrophic event that would happen. The the combination of the location and the weather would cause like a hurricane or an earthquake or right. something, and everyone would be in this tumultuous situation. And then he would have to very carefully write in some uh, little kind of butter, butterfly effect, uh, easy, uh, like a solution to uh, gradually fix it without disrupting things too much 
So that that's uh, that sounds a little bit like uh, what you describe about uh, the yeah. nuances of uh, script writing and continuity. Yeah, yeah. Look, it's pretty exhausting too um, for a guy who works by himself and is used to just uh, making up everything the way he wants it, and then um, having conversations with uh, a million different people with a million different ideas. And yeah, it's it's pretty demanding. That's something. Mm-hmm. That is demanding. All right. Why don't you? Can you ask this question? <laughs> okay, you're Australian. Why don't you just ask it exactly yep. as you wrote it? Okay, Vegemite. Why? <laughs> oh yeah, no, Vegemite is great. I, admittedly, you do have to grow up with Vegemite. I don't expect anyone to come to Vegemite as an adult and say, "Wow, that's what my life has been missing." Um, give me some more of that Vegemite. It's um, it's yeah, it's. It's a very strong. It tastes very salty. Um, but yeah, we my kids have it on their toast. We have Vegemite sandwiches. It's just uh, it's a delicious, spreadable treat. It's perplexing. How much are you supposed to put on your toast? Not very much. Less than you think. Okay. Oh, that's that's probably exactly the right thing I need to hear because I did try it once, and I wish I had eaten less than I did. <laughs> right. Yeah. I remember this um, when I was a kid. My parents had this um, visiting. Um, my through my dad's work, there were some people from China over, and um, they uh, were staying at our house, and they wanted to try some Vegemite. So um, they had a, this guy had a bit of bread, and he's got the Vegemite, and he spread this massive amount of Vegemite oh on it. And we gosh. all kind of watched it in horror. <laughs> and in retrospect, I don't know why my parents didn't try to stop him. I guess we all just thought, oh, you must really want to eat a lot of Vegemite. Um, and then he had one bite and looked very sick and, yeah, didn't finish it. Oh, shucks. <laughs> hey, that's that sounds like that article that you were telling me about. Yeah. With people's palates? Mm-hmm. And how their, the, the palates are primarily uh, culturally influenced. Because um, of how where they're raised, so typically you you we grow accustomed to certain flavors and flavor combinations, and how uh, you know, for example, a Chinese exchange student may go to another country and find that they don't quite have the same flavors in the food as bland because it's missing soy sauce and a certain combination of ingredients that they're otherwise accustomed to. Mm-hmm. Right. So your palate, like physical changes in your mouth as to how you perceive food. Yeah, exactly. I suppose so. So perhaps perhaps someday we'll have the opportunity to grow up with Vegemites, but perhaps not. <laughs> well, changes in your brain. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, I did a, a marketing degree at university after high school, and uh, one of the real takeaways from that was how um, how important perception is to tastes. Like some huge amount of reported taste um, can be influenced by things that you see uh, and smell and hear and your, your impressions of the overall environment, your expectations for the food. It's, it's like freaky how little of, um, of taste is actually truly objective in the sense that you remove all the other senses and you will, um, you know, you just rely on taste, like how little that actually matters. Oh, sure. I think probably my favorite uh, marketing trope to that effect is women laughing alone with salad. <laughs> You see that in that one? women laughing alone with salad. <laughs> Look to see anywhere where salads are advertised, and very often you'll see a woman like laughing to herself or smiling like enormously with uh, just oh. a salad in front of her. So laughing or alone yogurt. with salad. Or yogurt as well. That's right. It's a, it's a very okay. funny Okay, no, I haven't noticed that one, but I'll be on the lookout for it now. That's one of those cannot unsee kind of marketing tropes. Uh, yes. 
or like it's always the woman cleaning when it, and there's no haphazardness and there or clumsiness going on. But when the dude tries to clean, there's always some sort of. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah, the the woman usually comes by to rescue him. Oh, silly man. <laughs> yeah, is or any one of those infomercials? You know, products for stupid white people who can't live without them. <laughs> oh yeah, sure. Quite, yeah. All right. Well, um. We want to be uh, we want to be respectful of uh, Max's yeah. time. Why don't we quickly perhaps mention any uh, games that we have been playing in the last little while? Um, have you have you played anything uh, recently, Max? Uh, well, I yeah, look, I, I play very little games. I well, actually I play I play games with my wife Jen. So Jen and I have been together, and we got married as teenagers. So we've been together for twenty three years. Oh, congrats! And um, pretty much. All of that time, or some huge amount of it, we've played Age of Empires 2, um, you know, which came out, I don't know when, but uh, we have played so much of this game. So we play cooperatively. It's just uh, me and Jen versus um, uh, AI opponents. That's fantastic. And we don't even play online because um, Jen is, is extremely competitive, and if she gets beaten by another human or even is losing to another human, things get really ugly really fast, uh, which is also why we play cooperatively instead of uh, head-to-head. Um, but, yeah, no, it's um, – and this game, which is really old, got this update uh, last year. They came out with this expansion for it and there's a, a new one that's just come out, the yeah. Africans, uh, African Kingdoms, I think it's called. Um, so we have just been having tons of fun with that. And um, the, you know, It's a real-time strategy game, you know, one of the early, very early real-time strategy games. And – um, you have the three – your choice of strategy there is to either – what is it? To rush. So you will you know, build lots of troops really early and try to crack your enemy before they've got started. Or you will boom, which is where you delay building military units and you hope to lay such a strong economic foundation that you're then overwhelming in the late game. Or the one that Jen and I have done pretty much all the time, which is turtling, which is where you play extremely defensively and you build walls and defensive this and defensive that, and you uh, lay waste to the attackers who are basically trying to climb over your walls. So we've uh, we've played that way, doing extreme turtling for a really long time. But the latest patch has introduced this new AI, which is a bit smarter. So we've actually had to start playing a bit more aggressively and um, it's like completely changed our gameplay. So this is, you know, this may sound small to you, but given this is like being the game that we've played our entire adult lives, it's like an immense shockwave through our lives that we are now doing these new Age of Empires 2 strategies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's very romantic. <laughs> That's a favorite That's one game. Way of looking at it. It's a favorite game of Bianca's. AKA the oh, peasant really? squisher. The peasant squisher, as her dad called it, because all that he would hear coming from her bedroom growing up. <laughs> The sound of me of uh, me laughing after some after the opposing peasants are uh, merciless, mercilessly slaughtered by my uh, massive army moving through the countryside. I would send out this clump of like fifty men, and I would just have them mow down all my opponents. Yeah, yeah, you do have to mow down peasants. It's uh, it's a sad fact of Age of Empires two life. Uh, if you find a nice little cluster of villages harvesting berries, um, you do have to ride in there and put them all to the sword as quickly as possible. I do, and then I move in my peasants and they take over. I hope for both of your sakes they don't add a Geneva Convention expansion. That'll put quite yeah, the stop it, to that. It, it, it's war. It's all out war. That's true. Bianca and I play the same way with uh, Civilization. Except- we did it with four and five. We, we would play cooperatively and... Uh, 
Because you have no else. hope in hell against me. Well, that's for darn sure as well. Except I really uh, slow things down in the pace, don't I? Oh. Yeah, it's like... Yeah. He, had the Sorry, auto- he automates really all don't. his workers, and he still takes more time than me doing my workers manually. Yeah, I'm meticulous. And she still... Yeah, I don't know how you could play that game with another human being without losing your mind, because it's, <laughs> it's turn-based, right? And then you've got to wait for the other person to have their turn? Well, because we play cooperatively... We can both take our turn at the same time, and then it waits for us both to say end of turn, and then it does all oh, of the AI okay. turns. So at least right. I don't – she's not pulling her – she's not pulling my hair out, only her own. <laughs> right. And I meanwhile, like, I'm looking over and telling him what he should build next. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, your your whims are better than my deep considerations any day. <laughs> Although then when we play Diablo, it's the other way around. True. I'm tapping my toe, and you're, you're you're crunching the numbers, but that's okay. What yep. goes around comes around. Exactly. <laughs> so beyond Age of Empires two, yeah, is it the HD edition? Yeah, I have that too. Yes, yes. Um, we've been playing that. So they like seriously, that is the only game I am actively playing at the moment. Um, last year I played a lot of FTL, which is um, just oh, adorable. Um, I really like that game. Just the. Uh, it's got that um, that combination of real time strategy, but you could also pause the game and and assess what you're doing. That's um, that's a wonderful little game. Uh, apart it. from that, oh no, actually, I have a question for you guys. I have yeah. um, this little brother. Um, he's like 21 or 22. Actually, I think oh, he's 23. I lost track. <laughs> um, he's um, uh, he's like when he was four years old. Um, he's my wife's brother so i met him uh, when he was about four years old and we played games um, our whole life and uh, mm. we uh used to play a lot of half-life deathmatch uh, oh, yeah. where you would uh, have these games where you just invent your own games you know like a half-life 2 deathmatch where you can just run around with the gravity gun was it called throwing cars at each other sure we do yeah. the same yeah, thing grand so theft auto <laughs> yeah we did didn't we Right, this is the thing. I, he was telling me about Grand Theft Auto, and he has a console and I don't. So he was playing Grand Theft Auto a long time before me and saying, Max, when this comes out on PC, you've got to get this game. Um, it's amazing, and then we'll play all these things where we have like motorbike versus jet races and stuff like that. So I got Grand Theft Auto um, 5, and Very I don't understand game. it at all. I, I've been missing some part of my brain that you need to enjoy this game. Like, is it... <laughs> I've, I've, I understand you're supposed to break the law. This is what he's told me, that I'm playing too cautiously because I don't like to like run red lights or kill people. <laughs> and, and without that, there's nothing there, right? So do you have – I don't get what you're supposed to do in this game. Well, there, when you do break the law so brazenly like that, if you're invested in the story or the characters, there's kind of like this dichotomy between the relative like order and stability in their lives versus the chaos of the acts you commit between yeah. their conversations and such. That's kind of it. Like Grand Theft Auto is sort of several games in one and it's probably too many games in one. You can, I, as I've mentioned on our podcast before, my very favorite thing to do when I get a brand new Grand Theft Auto game is to just go for a walk and see the sights right. and to just be an ordinary citizen and watch things either unfold or not, but just enjoy the architecture, the scenery, and, like, the amazing production <laughs> values. Because yeah, why not? Yeah, I've done that, but then I feel like, what am I doing? I'm sitting inside playing a walking simulator. Why don't I just go outside? <laughs> right. Well, that's that's what well-adjusted people do, but you're talking to, you're talking to me right now. Yeah. I, on the other hand, immediately go out and see how much chaos I can cause while driving around. <laughs> that you yeah. do. 
So yeah, I, I, I had trouble with that. I tried to do that, and then I would run someone over, and they would scream, and I would feel bad. It's, it's, it's I don't know. It's too realistic. You have to detach yourself. Yeah, I, I you rush. I will. I run over as many people as I can before the cops notice, and then I go back on the road and just hit some cars because the cops don't seem to care about how many people you hit on the road as long as you don't run into a cop car. That's so right. as long as you uh, ration out how many pedestrians you mow down, the cops will not uh, pay to you too much mind. I suppose so. I think the mistake that you that most people probably make is you don't want to play that game with your whole brain, just with like the very <laughs> center kind of lizard stem of your brain. The feral yeah. aspect. There you yeah. go. Yeah, I have no trouble with a lot of games. Just, you know, it's a game, you know, kill you know, like peasants, like in Age of Empires too. I have no trouble running down a whole bunch of parrots picking peasants picking berries. But um, <laughs> yeah, in Grand Theft Auto for some reason I, I couldn't do that. It's fair enough. It's it's a, a kind of a divisive game, I suppose. Um but there's, I think there is plenty that you can do without uh, causing all that much havoc. I mean, it's probably even more difficult to play that game without causing havoc. Yeah, in fact, there was someone did an example of they gave the kid, their uh, five-year-old kid, a copy of uh, Grand Theft Auto 4 and just let him play without telling them how to play. And the kid did all these rescue missions and played within the boundaries of the law. Oh. And so didn't shoot anybody, didn't break any of the driving rules, drive on the road, drove in a straight line, stopped for red lights. Oh, that's kind of heartening, isn't it? Yeah. So, I mean, so essentially, because it's an open world game, you can play the game how you want. And then, you know, you if you have to do, then if you do the missions, then you stay within the confines until you have to step out for act for the gameplay itself. Because there's nothing that says you have to play the game violently. It just says that, you know, once you have to do the violent action, then you do them. Otherwise, you can pretty much go the entire game without ever getting into a fight with anybody, running anybody over. You'd have to be better yeah. at video games than me to do that. <laughs> I guess so. I mean, that's perhaps not the best way to play it multiplayer with, with your brother. <laughs> yeah, no, we, we haven't even gone to that point. We haven't um, done the jet races yet. So, yeah, it'll probably not be more fun when we get that started. Oh, sure. Well, for uh, I, I hardly play that game multiplayer at all. But when I have done it a few times with Grand Theft Auto V, just doing racing stuff, that's really, really fun. All the combat stuff, I find everyone is better than me at that stuff. And I hold everyone back and I feel like I'm like a, a 17th wheel sort of. But uh, for the racing stuff, that's really, really fun. And for two people to do that together, I'm sure that's uh, a, a lot of fun. Bianca and I, when we played it a few times, we would just kind of go sightseeing and... Well, that's, that's, that was my intention. Then Bianca would kind of stick her head out the window and start popping off pedestrians and, and people on motorcycles and such. And that made the game a little more exciting all of a sudden. And then, so that, and then we went and played fun. golf. Oh, yeah. Oh, if you, if you haven't already, playing golf in that game is really fun. If you've ever played other golf games, this is pretty much just as good, I find, as like a Tiger Woods kind of a game, except that right. your protagonist is very foul-mouthed, which makes, which makes <laughs> golf much more fun. <laughs> that okay. one, I can't wait till they have the foul mouth uh, professional golf, then I'll, I'll be hooked. Yep, no more of this quite on the green. Yeah, that's right, no golf clapping. <laughs> so, Bianca, what have you, uh, do you want to give us a Coles notes? What have you been playing noteworthy lately? Let's see Mousecraft, Nine Clues to the Ward, Jones on Fire, Abyss, The, Ra the Race of Aiden, Bind <laughs> Binding of Isaac, and Diablo 3. Except for the last one, those that sounds like you hit like a randomized button in a dictionary and said a bunch of words. <laughs> Let's have an example. What is? I was making fun of this name the other day. Nine clues to the ward. Like nine clues weren't enough. They had to make a sequel. You got to be kind of thick, no? 
Well, yeah, they had, they, it was obviously, you know, Detective One, so they decided that, you know, it wasn't just enough that they had the first one. Now they had to go investigate, you know, the cause of a fire at an asylum. Okay, uh, at least give me this much. Were there nine clues? <laughs> there were more than nine clues. Ah! <laughs> okay, I'm deeply disappointed now. <laughs> okay, well, what's now, your... Actually, there are nine clues in each, in, in each scene you had to investigate. Oh, okay. So it had something to do with something. Yeah. Okay. You had five crime scenes. Each of them had nine clues. Okay. I feel somewhat better about that then. And you had to find nine objects and hidden uh, object scenes. I don't know. If you have a game called Nine Clues 2, I start reaching for my elementary school multiplication tables and stuff, and I, you've lost me already. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a big winner of the week? What's the best thing you played this week? Toss up between Mousecraft and Jones on Fire. Oh, okay. Give us a quick synopsis of those, will you? Mousecraft. You're a crazy cat named Schrodinger. You're conducting experiments, and you need. And unfortunately, you ran out of money. So, in order to continue experiments, you need to get these shards, and as you, until so your mice will collect shards for you by going through a maze that you have set up. Okay, it's Jones, cute too. Yep, Jones on fire. Your name is Jones. There's a fire in the forest, and you have to go and rescue kitties and bring them back to your fire station. That's two kitty-related games that are your pick of the week. I'm detecting yep. a theme. Yep. Yes, you are. Well, very nice. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, me, mo- what we played mostly this week was Diablo 3. Mm-hmm. We like playing that t- together. That's another cooperative game that we enjoy. Yeah. yeah. Is that worth picking up again? Because I was playing a lot of that with Jen when it first came out, and then again when the expansion came out. But we haven't played any for, um, you know, since, since then. I think it's gotten better and better over mm-hmm. time. They just had a new patch the other day. They're doing a season if you wish to participate in the season, you can make a new character and you don't have access to any of the wealth or gear that you've accumulated. You have to start from scratch. Okay. So that's kind of nice. But we played we played when it was brand new. We played in the beta, and then we played when it was brand new. And that kind of petered out quickly because we didn't like the balance of the game. It felt kind of slow and oppressive. But now it's really quick-paced and, for the most part, forgiving, unless you really want to challenge yourself with difficult stuff. But, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, we, we like it a lot. There's a heck of a lot of content. If you own the expansion, they've added a lot since then for free. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, we'll have to check it out. Yeah. The thing that about Diablo that I didn't like was how forgiving it was. Like, it's um, mm. – it's this is kind of a trend in games generally, of course, like compared to – where they were back in the 80s and 90s where they were completely unforgiving but the way that it's um you just smash your way through monsters without really having any threat of death i just found a bit strange uh so when the game first came out you couldn't get to the more to the higher difficulty levels before you completed the prior ones yes yes you had to go through the whole game like four times that's right now you can like basically put your your butt cheeks in the deep fryer from the get-go it it is as hard as you want it to be basically well you have to play through like a first base difficulty if you're doing hardcore you can only go as high as expert but when to complete ex- Act 4 on Expert, then you've unlocked the rest of it. Oh, that's if you're crazy and you want to play the, the hardcore mode only where as soon as you die, you can never use the character again. Yeah. I'm, I, I, I don't find that fun. I find that stressful. I have, I have a character that I'm at level 24. No, I'm like level 27 now. Yeah, that's pretty good. It's higher than wow. I ever made it. But yeah, if you play the regular, the ordinary version of the game, it's a Torment 2 or something. There's like eight different mm-hmm. skill levels you can choose from or so. I think and, it's like Torment 10 now. Well, I, I think while you're leveling, it's Torment 2. So basically, yeah. it takes like, I don't know. It, it takes a heck of a long time to kill any one tiny little peon at the highest level. And they'll basically kill you with one hit. 
and there are many degrees between very easy and very hard. So yeah, that's and, a bit weird, don't you think? Where the game asks you, I guess lots of games have it to some degree, but where the game asks you how hard it should be, it feels like you know, why don't you give me the challenge and then I'll see if I can beat it rather than me set it to a level that is just exactly right for me. Well, uh, people play games for different reasons, I suppose. Some people just want the story, some people want the sights, and mm -hmm. some people want the the challenge. Mm -hmm. And this way it, it accommodates all play styles because some people may not necessarily want to have five bosses breathing down their neck at once with uh, fire, rain, and lightning. Yeah, that was just it. When we played on the easier... Uh, difficulty levels, it was kind of a good way to acclimate yourself to the game, but when you play on the higher difficulty levels, every skill you choose and every kind of variation of every skill you choose is significant, and you want your skills to be complementary to each other, and if you're playing co-op, to uh, one another's skills as well. So there's yeah. lots of room for strategy and uh, retooling and reevaluation. So depending on whether yeah, you okay. like that degree of depth, it's there in Diablo. Yeah, we should pick that up again. That was good fun. All these co-op games are really good for me and Jen. We love co-op games. If you've got any recommendations for, for any, we're all ears. Uh, boy, um, not really, because we've just really done, we, we love Diablo. Like Diablo 2 was an obsession for a couple of years. Mm. Uh, then Diablo 3, we didn't like as much as D2, of course, but it was still very fun. Um, and then it's been Age of Empires 2 pretty much solidly apart from that. So, yeah, we're open for another great co-op game as well. And we've tried a couple over the years, but nothing's really grabbed us. Oh, hey, I don't know whether you have heard of The Humble Bundle, which is... Yep. Oh, you have. One of the ones right now is the Firaxis Humble Bundle. They have the Civilization games for really cheap, $10 or something. We love oh, playing yeah. that co-op. Yeah, I've never... I've played Civ myself, but I've never tried it co-op with Jen. I mean, a Civ game for me lasts about three weeks, so I can't imagine playing it where you've got to wait for the other person as well. Yeah, I think I, I seem to remember, well, I would say remember, but like many an evening has melted into wee hours without us realizing exactly how much time had passed thanks to that game. Yeah, but, it's like, what yeah. the hell time was it? And where did the sun go? It's incredible. That game is a time machine as far as I'm concerned. It is. Yeah, it's dangerous. One more turn. One it more is. turn. But if, if you are interested, now is the time because it's very inexpensive for... Okay. Oh, terrific. Amazing amount of... Yeah, we'll, we'll uh, send you a link if you need it. But uh, that that one we recommend. What else can we recommend for co-op? Um, what have we played co-op? We've got to be something. I wish Steam let you filter your games that you own by co-op games. Bianca and I like first-person shooters. We were playing... Call modern. of Duty World at War. Yeah, Modern Warfare 2. That one as well. Oh, Modern Warfare 2 is a fun one because one in one of the scenarios, a short one, one person's running around on the ground while the other one is in a turret of a helicopter kind of providing cover from mm -hmm. above. That's kind of a neat little okay. asymmetrical yep. thing. Yes, we used else. to play a bunch of, um, what is it, Battlefield 942. Oh, um, that was a of the later ones when they came out as well. That but, was a fun one. Uh, again, Oh, that was so much fun, that game. I actually got in a clan for that one. It's the oh, only really? clan I've ever been in. Um, and, yeah, Jen was uh, a sniper. She was very sneaky. She always be sniping people and, from bushes. So, yeah, we played that pretty seriously. That was another great co-op one. Huh. If I may say, Max, both you and I have very cool wives. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's true. We do. What a, what a great uh, situation that is to be in. <laughs> 
Um, well, just being mindful of uh, the time here. I know that you had uh, you had a preference to keep it around an hour and a half, and that's just about where we are. Even though we didn't really touch upon our our no, that's topic, okay. we can we can go as long as you need. Okay, well that's cool. Well, sh- shall we delve perhaps into our our topic? We only have a couple of things that we could think of here, so maybe it won't take too long. Yeah, we got a few things, but uh, at least it's something and. Yeah, well, we're ranty people. We can we can fill a lot of time with like nothing. <laughs> that's what we do, isn't it? So our topic this week then is stupid, stupid and useless computer peripherals. <laughs> Why don't I? Can I start us off with like the granddaddy of all stupid peripherals? <laughs> okay, sure. Is, okay. Is it? Is it? You know which I, one it is. Oh, please tell me it's this this one, right? Of course. Uh, oh, no. It's this one. Oh, yes. That's the one. <laughs> okay. So this I feel a little so bit badly. Stupid. I, feel, I feel a little bit badly, I suppose. Only a little. Because this was a gift from my mother-in-law. Um, uh, she, she uh, with the best of intentions, has bought us a couple of kind of technology-based gifts. Uh, she knows that we like computers. And she knows that we like video games. And that's about the extent of her knowledge of this hobby. <laughs> so... For instance, one year she uh, bought us a game for the Nintendo Wii, and it had all of these like adorable little six-year-olds jumping around and cavorting in like clown costumes or something. <laughs> it was like ages recommended ages six to twelve or something because to the layman, like aren't aren't video games a, a children's toy? Isn't that all they are? So right. that's that's sort of where she's coming from, her mentality, where she's coming from. And she was so offended when we tried to explain it to her too. Yeah, we tra- Yeah, we. She. She. Yeah, she was offended. Anyway, because we try and we tried to do it in the nicest way possible, saying we appreciated that, but this is this is this wasn't our thing. Yeah, we tried. Anyway, <laughs> the the kicker is this. It was two Christmases ago. Yeah, she she gave me a USB powered. What do you call it? It was like salt lamp. It was like a salt lamp. It was. It looked oh my sort god! Of, I've got that. I what? was given that. Really? It's well, like yes. This. I have the U.S. I, can't I was thinking about this topic, and I'm like, oh, I'm going to mention the salt lamp. Oh my god! <laughs> is it like a pyramid shape? It, it, it kind of looked like like a, a oh, rock or a geode or something. And it says on the box that it it, it is for removing negative ions from the air. Yes. Like, what the <laughs> shit, man? Yeah. This yeah. is unfathomable. I actually don't know where mine is, but I was given that by my mother for, um, you know, who's a bit concerned about me sitting indoors uh, facing a computer all the time. So, <laughs> Same reason. Thing. Wow, this is a very motherly gift, I imagine. Yeah. And we have, and she, and she insisted that Brian plug it in before she leaves, so he plugs it in. Oh, to make sure it works. Yeah. So I, I, I whatever it does, it did it. <laughs> I guess yeah. this I is the only gift I think I have ever received. Where the moment our door closed and she left our presence, I picked it up and thunk right into the garbage can. <laughs> And I mean, we've gotten some pretty useless crap over the years, but this was like the ultimate useless. I kind of lamented soiling the garbage can by putting it in there. <laughs> that was quite the gift. So, I don't know. That's I'm, amazing. I, I can't believe I'm talking to someone else who owns the USB-powered salt lamp. That's, that's incredible. incredible. Well, now I almost regret throwing it away. We could have been like salt brothers from <laughs> across right. the ocean. Yeah, no, it doesn't do like- anything, right? You plug it in, and and nothing happens. Well, you just got to take it on faith that it's removing ions, and that that's a good thing. I, I guess. guess it's like adding pennies to your electricity bill, at any rate. Uh, yeah. 
Okay, this I have to say I wasn't quite expecting this response. I mean, <laughs> Me neither. I was totally not expecting. This is it. one of those things that decorates a, a, a like a variety store shelf without actually being purchased from. Or them. the uh, or your local hippie grain store. Because I mean, yeah, where do they come from? It's not like you see the shelves. <laughs> I don't know. Like, what did the world do? With their rocks before the invention of USB. Uh, how did they reap the rings? benefits? They made rings and shiny jewelry? I guess, but I mean, how do you electrically power your rocks without... <laughs> I don't... Uh, oh, man. Um, I don't know. You, like, <laughs> drill a hole and you put some wires in it and then it heats up? <laughs> I, I guess so. Well, we'll have to ask the Mythbusters or Mr. <laughs> Wizard or something. Wow. Oh, that's... I didn't think it was possible that anyone else got such a ridiculous present. No, this is a glorious day for for electric. Yeah, electric that is crazy. Rocking. I'm glad I have a backup on my list of terrible peripherals <laughs> okay. because if you just stolen my thunder with this salt lamp, I would have been stranded. <laughs> well, we can share our thunder then. Well, have you got something else on your list, Max? Okay, I do. I do have a few things on on my list, and um, you know, being a child of the '80s, I have a few contenders and something right up there. Um, this is not my top, but but I remember these joysticks uh, that would come with uh, the Commodore 64 computer, which is my first ever computer. I love so much. Oh, right on. Um, the, you would get these joysticks that were basically a box and a stick. Um, and then there was a button on the box. That's all they were. Mm-hmm. So um, playing a computer game with a joystick that is that shape, you know, it's not like your modern controllers where they're all contoured for your hand and, you know, all this ergonomic research has gone into them, blah, blah, blah. These things were killers. And oh, yeah. the corner of the box would just be digging into your palms. These so were just pointing cubes. Sort of serious gaming session would leave you with these horrible indentations and, and pain that would last for an hour afterwards. Oh, sure. Um, so, yeah, the, the joystick. But, no, the, the, I think the most useless one I ever saw, um, and I'm not sure how common these are, maybe – Maybe lots of people have seen these or maybe not. But Hewlett-Packard used to make a laptop uh, with a pop-out mouse on it. So you would press a button on the actual laptop and this this little mouse would pop out from the side. And Whoa. it was attached by uh, plastic, but hard plastic. So you couldn't move it very far away from the laptop. There was no cord. Uh, and the mouse, as you might imagine, to be small enough to fit into the side of a laptop was teensy tiny. And uh, you, I used to see these around the sales team. These guys would be um, trying to um, manipulate these tiny, tiny mice, uh, and it would just look ridiculous. Neat. I seem to. I don't know if it was an HP computer. I remember some computer having a little pop-out trackball sort of a thing, kind of similar to that. But this was actually a mouse that like came detached from the computer. Sorry, the the pop-out one. Yeah, that, that like pops out of the computer? No, it, it would not detach. It was a part oh. of the, the laptop. So it would jut out about like an inch or two and you would be able to move it around because the oh. hard plastic that connected it to the laptop would sort of slide back and forth a little bit. But <laughs> it wouldn't detach. Oh, and so you were you had all the um, drawbacks of a regular mouse along with not being able to move it very far. <laughs> Goody. So you got all the dust collecting around the uh, trackball and not being able to move it. I guess. I don't know if it had a trackball. I think it was probably getting the motion from that hard plastic that connector because it was too small to have a ball in it. It was huh. tiny. Wow. Does not sound very productive. No. I mean, you know, there's a long list of, of terrible 
um, tracking devices on laptops, like the balls, which, yeah, I actually like the balls, but um, what are those ones that had the, the nipple in between a couple of keys? I like that. that oh, I couldn't stand those. That's they my were, pointer know, of choice. A bit and nothing would happen, and you'd probably apply more force, and it would go across the screen. They were terrible. Oh, I, I got good with those. I have that computer behind me, actually. My dad had this old, I think it's like a Pentium 75 laptop or something. It's a, an old clunker. It doesn't even hold charge in the battery now, but I've got Windows 95 on it. And it has that little nipple sort of a thing on the middle of the keyboard. And I became like pinball wizard with that thing. <laughs> right. That's right. I, I struggle with like the, the, the new fangled touchpads, but that old thing I'm, I'm awesome with. Oh, wow. Sniper. Uh, Bianca, do you have one that you want to mention? Hmm. This was a present from my dad a couple, a few years ago. He had, once again, very good intentions. Um, and I think this is slightly above the one that my mother, the salt lick my mother got us, but oh, I was salt lick. <laughs> <laughs> um, he got us a USB powered keyboard vacuum cleaner. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> And it had like huh. all the suction of like a, a gentle breeze. <laughs> yep. <laughs> right. Because uh, that sounds useful in theory. It does. It I don't know if we ever got it to work. Anything from the keyboards. I mean, granted, we had pretty filthy keyboards. And we at the time, we kind of just like ate like slobs over them. Yeah, I think he underestimated how slovenly we can be. But whatever it is we do to our keyboards, it was not the solution for it. <sighs> no, it wasn't. <laughs> Oh, that was that was a good one, but I don't think we ever got around to. I think we tried it once, and it was so woefully underpowered. Yeah, I think so. In general, my philosophy is if it's not if it's not for computing or for doing a computer related thing, then don't plug it into my computer. There are people who have like uh, a desk fan or something that plugs into USB, but I don't want to. I don't want to tax my computer with some like mechanical. Thing that's not contributing to the computing experience. Mm-hmm. Just get a regular fan for that, and yeah, it's probably sucking vital frames away from your gameplay and experience. Probably, I need and every last frame. Overheating your CPU and probably going to kill your hard drive. Probably. What else have we got? Uh, oh, oh, do we want to talk about that that one that the mouse? Which mouse? We have two mice. Two of the stupidest mice oh. on the list. Oh, okay. Can I can I pick on your poor mom again? By all means. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I will I will uh, reiterate that she is uh, the layperson when it comes to computer stuff. She uh, we went and visited her in uh, faraway Ottawa, where she lives, uh, a few years ago, and she had a really crappy slow netbook and was really fed up with the terrible. Uh, touchpad on that we can empathize we have a netbook and it has a, a the world's worst touchpad on it as well but it's not so bad now that it has lubuntu on it it was just a piece of crap and it had windows well, xp physically it's just not a very good touchpad yeah. you, you want to plug a mouse into it ideally so we told her okay sure we asked her where do you use it so she's like oh use it on the couch so we were saying okay well, we'll find you something that's kind of ergonomically sound and it has a good sensor so that she can use it on her knee or on the, the couch or on different yeah. surfaces if she has a little table or something so we just went to walmart together because they have a a halfway decent selection of Mm -hmm. mice there and um she wanders away from us while uh, bianca and i are uh, trying to uh, pick something out uh, with some sort of uh some sort of uh, rigor yeah and uh, she comes back uh with it looked like an austin mini sort of (laughs) it's like this little hot wheels toy car looking thing but it's a computer mouse and has like a little windshield (laughs) 
And uh, uh the stupid lights. Oh, I'm getting to that. So she bought this thing because it's cute. It, don't worry about the ergonomics or whether it works, but it's cute. It's 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 kitschy. So she bought it and she brought it home. And then the three of us are like watching TV together while she's puttering away on her netbook. <laughs> and uh, I I had the pleasure of learning that when she plugs in the mouse to her <laughs> USB, the headlights turn on. So I'm just trying to watch TV, and I have your mom flat. This sounds like innuendo. Your mom's flashing her high beams at me, <laughs> and I cannot ignore these like blinking lights shining right in my eye. Uh, these are the. It was please, the please don't remind me that I said that sentence. Let's just leave that to the annals of time, please. We'll leave that throughout through our listeners to judge. Oh, I feel dirty now. All right, that's that. <laughs> Max, why did you why did you give us another yeah. one, Max? Okay, all right. This this isn't really a terrible. Pro- I'm cheating a little bit with this one, but um, I have to mention the tape drive that came with my Commodore 64 back in. Um, oh, the uh, audio cassette. 82. Um, so the way this worked, of course, is before disk drives were affordable, um, there were tape drives. And so you would get games on just regular cassette tapes and you would put them into your tape drive. And one of the games that I played the most back then was Elite, you know, before it was the new version and everything else. The, the original Elite, where you would fly a spaceship around and explore galaxies and uh, fight wireframe enemy pirates fantastic and, um, it was a pretty big game at the time so it would take about 40 minutes to load so you would decide i would have to decide well in advance that i wanted to play this game and then set up the computer plug it into the television and plug in the um put the tape in the deck and start loading it and then like go away and do something else for half an hour and then come back when the game had actually loaded so um, this was fine. You know, this is the sort of stuff that we did back in the 80s to enjoy computer games. And um, the problem was, though, that as it got older, it became less reliable. So mm-hmm. I would come back after this 30 minutes and find there was a, a read error on the uh, on the screen. Oh. And the way to address it was to get out the bottle of um, – I'm not sure if it uses the same – methylated spirits. Does that mean anything to you? Yeah, sure. The alcohol. Okay. Yes, yes, that's right. And you would swab the heads of the cassette drive to try yep. to clean them, yep. get all the, you know, all the dust and, and crap off it, So and then reset and try again. So, um, yeah, I became very used to the smell of, of methylated spirits as I would try to coax a working game out of my tape drive. Um, yeah, the, the day that I saved up for a disk drive, which was the size of a shoebox and would use five and a quarter inch floppy disks, was, it was a very good day. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, those were phenomenally expensive for a long time. Yeah, I remember actually because it was four hundred dollars. Um, wow, Australian, but it was you know roughly the same as US, I think. So, mm-hmm. um, and it, I had to save up two hundred bucks myself, and then my parents put in the other two hundred for the, the tech drive. But that was magic when games would load in like only a few minutes. That was amazing. Oh, that's amazing. I don't remember. I never had a Commodore sixty four, but I had friends who had that and a Commodore one twenty eight and something else as well. And I seem to remember. With the audio cassettes, sometimes the instructions would say, fast forward the tape to foot number 53 and press play yes. when you load the game. Yeah. So that was quite an ordeal just to, just to get some bits onto your machine. Yeah, that's right. Because you'd have a cassette tape, which might be like a 90-minute cassette tape and yeah. a few games on it. So you just fast forward to whatever position the next game was at and load it from there. That's awesome. Maybe it wasn't a manual where I read that because I don't know whether any of my friends – 
uh, had the, the legitimate copy of a game that would have had a manual. And right. Yes. Those were. Yeah, those but were... The, the Commodore 64 was such a great machine, and I credit it for really getting me started on um, game design and like falling in love with programming. Um, because you would turn those machines on, and there would be a blue screen, and it would say "ready," and it'd be a blinking cursor, and that was it. So mm-hmm. even to load a game, you still had to type things into it, like load. Right. Uh, quotation marks, asterisks, quotation mark, comma, eight, comma, one, enter mm-hmm. to load something off the um, the disk drive. And so you, know, you were programming the machine from the keyboard to do anything. So it was really easy to step from that into um, print boobs, enter. <laughs> and then, you, whoa, I just made the computer print boobs. And you would just <laughs> learn very, very easily how to, to just get more and more power over the command line and get the machine to do things. So, yeah, I, that machine was amazing. Oh, that was a great machine. It was especially cool how you could do the basic computer language right from the uh, command line for those machines. That's right. Yeah, basic. I used to play with that. I, I've only had, like, IBM-compatible MS-DOS and up machines in my life, but I was also always playing with uh, – Basic that came with that, and I did some Turbo Pascal and other things as well. But Basic was the one that I learned the best. I uh, used to have two. I think I must have gotten them from the library. I had two big books of games written in Basic. They were from some early '80s magazine called Creative Computing, and they published these compilations where people would yeah. uh, write in the source code for a Basic yeah. game. And the idea was that you would buy their magazine and type it in line by line, character by character, yes. and play their game with no typos. That's right. Or else. typo would kill you. Yeah, it wouldn't tell you where the typo was either. No, yeah. no, that's right. So I used to do th- I used to do that once or twice, and it was fun. And the- then I just would read the source code and these sample runs of the game in bed as my bedtime reading. And I never became a programmer, but I've always kind of had a an appreciation for it thanks to that. <laughs> Good old yeah, days. Yeah, I actually feel sad that like all the uh, the iPads and things today are also hermetically sealed where the the computer does everything for you and it's really sort of hard like as a user it all looks magical you just tap this and it just does it and and you don't really get to peek behind the scenes very easily so there's a much bigger step required to just get started in doing any sort of programming it's very true uh there there i'll have to find the uh quote for it but there's a, a somewhat infamous uh interview with Roberta Williams, who was a game designer from Sierra. She made adventure games like King's Quest and such in the 80s and 90s. She, right. uh, she was kind of reminiscing about the old days, and I don't, it was taken as a faux pas, where she said that back then, like, the barrier, the bar for entry was a lot higher just to, for a person to be able to play a game, and that's why these games were for a more mature audience and were more difficult because it was a, you yeah. had to solve a puzzle just to get your game to work in the first place. That's right, yes. That's true. So I sort of, I agree with her sentiment, but the way that she said it could it kind of lacked tact, I think, and it was, it was uh, criticized. But uh, it, it's true enough. I, I love all that command line stuff, and I, as much as I love uh, playing games and always have since I was a little kid, I've always kind of enjoyed the whole troubleshooting aspect of it as, as well, memory management and uh, defragmenting and, and swapping out hardware. It's all it's all a good time. You don't get to do that with uh, an iPad. You just uh, buy a new one. Yep. That's why a computer desktop's fun because then you go in and you're like, why? okay, I know my regular hard drive is working, but why isn't this other one working? Why is it seated correctly? Or, hmm, my computer's making a funny noise. Is something broken or is it just, you know, something that I configured? That's right. So, yeah, well, there's so much more complicated today, too. So it's there is so much that can go wrong with a 
with a modern machine compared to the very simple boxes that we had 20, 30 years ago. Too true. By the way, as a non sequitur, I've kind of made an observation during this conversation and previous ones. I've noticed that whenever we have a guest from Australia, our budgies fall asleep. I think. They, oh wow! I, um, yeah, and trolls I as well. To sleep yeah, they fall asleep for, for our Danish <laughs> guest and for they don't usually fall asleep for the Australian guest. Sometimes yeah, they, they I think they, I think they do. So I think maybe they they hear the sounds of their homeland or something and. I lulled into you know the a funny sense thing of safety. With, with your birds, um, I I go running and I, I listen to podcasts on my run. So a couple of times when I, I first started listening to your podcast, I um, would be running along and this bird, like when I run, I run through this parkland. It's kind of bushy and there's um, various birds around. And we have magpies in Australia that in the, the springtime um, they get really vicious. They if they nest, so if you go anywhere near them they swoop down and they try to peck your head. <laughs> so you have to keep an eye out for them. Um, and I'd be running through this parkland and all of a sudden there'd be this almighty tweet from what sounded like right behind my left ear, which is your bird. <laughs> it took me a bit of getting used to before I could just listen to that without flinching. That's <laughs> very funny. Isn't that exactly what happened to us in Diablo earlier, that you got some skill that puts fire all over the floor? Yeah. And then I kept getting killed by the fire all over the floor that wasn't your fire all over the floor? Yep, that's pretty much it. And that would be the Conyer who makes the beep. Hi, Conyer who makes the beep. Um, so we're pretty good on time. Do we have anything else we want to mention? All right, I'm gonna. I'm just gonna mention uh, the granddaddy of these, just because it was so expensive. I have uh, spoke. Well, I've spoken both lovingly and uh, derisively of this little gadget, but I'm talking about my Pebble smartwatch. Um, I okay, so uh, why don't I just cut right to the chase, just to kind of put this into perspective. I I came to the realization the other day I have two apps on my smartwatch right now, um, and they're both related to coffee. One of them is a coffee timer for when I'm making coffee at work; it just counts down from four minutes and buzzes on my wrist. And the other one is a Starbucks card barcode, so that I can <laughs> hold my wrist up to their card reader. Because I'm too lazy to either use a real car. No, what? Why don't I? Why don't I just read my my abbreviated note here? I think that kind of gives the essence of what I'm feeling here. Starbucks card barcode, which I can do on my phone or with a card. Doi. <laughs> That's <laughs> yeah, about it. I have the same app on my Pebble as well. It's a frivolous thing, and it's a fun toy to have, but it's I. It was way too expensive for the stupid things I use this watch for. So is mine, and but mine has Elscar on it. Elcars, Our, yeah, you're yeah, you have a Star Trek watch face, so that's cool. I do like putting different watch faces on this wrist, but this is so a solution to a problem that doesn't exist. Yeah, right. Springfield's answer to a question nobody asked. That's exactly it. So, uh, I I I don't know. I, I regret buying this Pebble. It was two hundred and fifty dollars, including. Uh, exchange rates and customs. Customs that hurt. Another fifty dollars for customs. I didn't realize it was going to come all the way from Singapore, or I would have bought it in a store. <laughs> so, uh, there, there. I'd be happier with the money than with this watch. I'm happy with mine, mainly because a, a I didn't have to buy, it, and it was a gift, and b it was a gift. I'm glad. I'm glad you're happy about it. It looks good on you too. So that's that's my big one. Um, have you got another one, Max? Uh, no, I think we've probably reached the end of my useless peripherals. Like, I, I don't tend to get a lot of gadgets and things. It took me forever to get a mobile phone or cell phone because, um, yeah, I work from home. So I, 
I don't really leave the house very often, so I found it hard to justify mobile technology, given that I am the least mobile person um, in the world. But sure, um, yeah, I, I once I've got the mobile phone, of course, I, I just can't live without it and, and use it for everything. But no, I don't get a lot of gadgets. Um, I actually had to dig through my box full of um, what I call my doohickey box, which is just like <laughs> cables and old dead disk drives and, and things for a, um, a headset with a microphone on it so we could do this uh, talk. But um, no, there's nothing really interesting in there. It's like a couple of old joysticks. Um, yeah, that's about it. I'm afraid I don't have a whole lot of peripherals. Well, there's worse things to be than a savvy consumer, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, at one point we had a stack of Brian's old hard drives. We have two <laughs> We have two uh, deconstructed uh, CPU coolers lying around. Yeah, well, that was, yeah, we had many years of upgrades sitting in the corner because I paid, we pay so much money when we upgrade our PCs and we think of how much money it cost us when we did it in the first place, even though it's outdated and worthless and weathered and no one would ever buy it. But I can't bring myself to throw it out because it costs money someday. But we threw it yeah. all out. Yeah, I yeah. took it to a recycling center. That's right. Well, we, we ended up throwing it all out. because No, been... we didn't throw it out. We recycled it properly at the uh, Toronto Garbage Oh, dump. that's right. That's right, we did. Well, that's we what did. I mean. We just we, we are no longer in possession of it. Yeah, we despite just covered it properly and environmentally friendly as we are supposed to. Yes, well... I'm going to mention one more. Okay, please do. And then maybe we can uh, take it on home. Yeah. Our USB speaker slash hub. You brought this back from Google. This is when you were uh, hawking Google products at oh, your own yeah. company. That's right. Well, yeah, that's right. Because we got all these little tchotchkes, uh, these little giveaway things. You had like glowing uh, LED Google uh, pins, pads, oh, the, the blinky pens. pins. People yeah. want those. Yeah, I have Google branded everything in in, in my Shirts. house. We have Google branded sticky notes in front of your computer here. <laughs> yep, we had a we had a like a really funky Google mechanical pen. Oh, that was awesome! <laughs> it looked like a it looked like a transformer kind of going from one form to another when you press the button. Yeah. So, but the most the, 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 what was usually which was totally useless when you when we actually went to use it was this thing that was like a USB one hub with a speaker on it. The speaker was was like muffled and the uh. And the USB was really slow. And this is when 2.0 was already out. Yeah, USB 1 was, what, like 800 kilobytes a second or something? Yeah. Excruciating like that? It hurt. It hurt. So I don't know why oh, Google would put quickly we get one. used to the new technology. We get spoiled. I know. I feel like a, a heel for bad-mouthing something that was astonishing at some point. Yeah, me too. But screw the past. The, pre the uh, future is where it's at. Yeah. <laughs> sort of. Mm -hmm. Except that's the antithesis to our whole podcast, 50 episodes later. Yeah. That's all we talk about is nostalgic BS yeah. for the most part. Anyway, so Even yeah, that was a crappy little chat. I don't know why Google would put their name on some such old technology. Um it was old when it was new. <laughs> yeah, really. And my weird. dad even used it for yeah, a while. Yeah, poor guy. We gave it to him because we couldn't find a use for it, and he, he dealt with it. I don't, I don't know if he knew that there was something better he could have gotten for <laughs> almost think, nothing. Yeah, I know. I, don't, I think it's mainly, mainly because we didn't mention it. <laughs> it's like we conveniently forgot and uh, saddled him with this really slow piece of shite, which he then would proceed to plug like, a dozen things. I, I, had, I think I had like four, 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 eight. I think I had eight ports. I mean, it's four on each side. Well, that's not too shabby. Well, that that in and of itself is pretty cool, I guess. Yeah, and then he had like everything in it, and then everything was slow, and he complained that everything was slow. That's right. Well, we did it to him, didn't we? Yes, we did. Thanks, Google. <laughs> yeah, that was Google's fault that we did it. I guess so. So All I think right. that's it, unless anyone has anything else. Uh, I'm still I'm still reeling from this whole salt thing. 
I can't believe you brought that up. I've got a little list of notes here. It's got salt lamp on it. It's like for a moment there, I thought somehow you had gotten a look at my notes and were taking the piss out of me. But no, you actually have your own one. Oh, fantastic. Mm -hmm. Small, small world. Uh All right. Well, we can't thank you enough for joining us, Max. It's Mm -hmm. been a real pleasure to chat with you. It's been fun. Yeah, it really has. Um, We uh, will most uh, gladly put a link to uh, your work in the show notes. But Mm -hmm. uh, if uh, people, do you have any means for people to uh, get in contact with you if they have any uh, questions or uh, whatever? Yeah, sure. MaxBarry.com. There is actually a little box at the top of the site um, where you can like write in a question and send it to me. Right on. I even answer some of them. <laughs> you have okay. anything else you want to plug? Oh, yes. Uh, no, I don't really have anything to plug at the moment. I mean, there's um, there's a book that I'm working on that will probably be out in like a year or two, so it's it's way too early to talk about that. But, um, yeah, no, maxbarry.com and nationstates.net. Okay, right on. Just putting that in our notes. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thank you again sincerely for joining us. It's been a real pleasure. Yeah, thank you so uh, much. Thank you, guys. And you want to you take us home, babe? Okay. To all our lovely listeners, our Square and Squareettes, if you want to reach us, you can find us on the web at squarefm.demodulated.com. By email, we're squarefm at demodulated.com. Or if you want to find us on Twitter, we're at squarewavesfm. That was beautifully enunciated, my dear. Why, thank you. (laughs) All right. So with that, folks, we love you to pieces. We thank you for listening to us. And uh, thanks again to our guest. And uh, we look forward to chatting with you all again soon. Mm -hmm. Oh, and beep. 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 Bye-bye. Beep. Thank you.